0: Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We are really, we're glad that you're here and we hope that that this service will be something that will encourage you. Uh, We're in the fourth week of our series called Games People Play and we've been looking at at various games because summertime's about fun, it's about games, but how it may connect to the Bible and connect specifically us to the Bible. And so uh, in our family, we love games and we love playing games with kids. And one of the uh, favorite things when we think about our children is When they were growing up is the game hide and seek. And so now we're doing that with a little Forrest who is 17 months old. But it's more like the peekaboo game. You know, we'll take a beach towel or so. Or a blanket and put it over his face. And we'll say, where's Forrest? And then we'll drop it and we'll say, there he is. And if you could see this live picture, uh, it would be Forrest clapping. Because he is so excited uh, that we found him. (laughs) Yeah. I, I'm sure you have a lot of different games that you play with your kids. You know, you graduate from there, that they're hiding in the, the house and uh, and so forth. It's always fun. But you know, when you start thinking about games and specifically hide and, hide and seek, do you realize that hide and seek was the very first game ever uh, played out in the Bible? Bet you didn't know that. Aren't you glad you came to church this afternoon? Yeah, it's actually in in Genesis chapter 3. The story uh, unfolds like this. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. And God said you can have everything in the garden that you want. except, Except you cannot eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything but that. You know the story. They decided they wanted to eat of the fruit. When they did that... Uh, almost immediately, they felt it in their bones that they'd crossed the line. They'd made a mistake. They'd sinned and they felt guilty and they, they, they wanted to cover it up. And so they got fig leaves. They sewed them together. They tried to cover up their their mistake, their sin. Then it was uh, a normal occurrence for God to walk through the garden in the cool of the evening. And as he was doing that, he was doing like, where's forest? They're saying, where's uh, where are you? And they were hiding from God. Now, God knew exactly where they were. But that was the first time we see uh, hiding. And what we understand is that uh, that's our story. We know how to hide. And so many of us are good at that. And that we will try to hide uh, portions of our lives, try to hide from God and from other people. Today, I want to talk to you uh, from the second book of the Bible. The book of Exodus about a man named Moses. Now Moses has a very interesting story. And we see it in uh, Exodus chapter 12. That the first time we meet Moses as an adult. He has a shovel in his hand or, or so. And he's digging. Verse 12 says that Moses looked this way. And then he looked that way. And when he didn't see anyone, he killed an Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And so there's Moses. He's trying to hide his mistake. Moses has a secret now. I think a lot of us have secrets. What are you hiding? Is there a secret that you have? Is there a secret where if we were to go digging and we were to uncover some things that we would find out things that you would not, won't found out? Hmm, all of us have them. I'm not speaking to just one or two. I'm speaking to all of us today. Several years ago, a guy named Frank Warren. Maybe you've heard of him. Frank Warren was an artist and, and he had this idea. He lives in Maryland. He said, um, he put on a postcard... He said, will you tell me your secret, the thing that you won't tell anybody else. And then I want you to put it on a postcard and I want you to be creative and I want you to mail it to me. And so he had several of these cards printed up and he took it to the local coffee shops in his area and also uh, to the music venues. Now, what he thought was that he would get five or ten people. Uh, that would write their darkest secrets on that card and mail it to him. But what he received was something that was, uh, blew his mind. In fact, he received not five or ten, but scores, hundreds and hundreds of cards. In fact, so many cards, postcards that he made a book out of them. And uh, had the pictures of postcards of people's secret. Okay, it's not just one book. He has seven of these. If you were to go to his Facebook page, uh, over 800 million uh, followers, I think that was the number um, that I saw. That. It's very interesting. Now, when you start to see some of these cards, some of them are uh, hilarious. For instance, like uh, one of them is uh, this. I'm afraid of women who wear capri pants. And I would just say, I'm afraid of men who wear capri pants. Okay. Uh, Here's another one. (laughs) That's pretty funny, y'all. I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. Oh, so what it is that you better be nice to people. You better be, especially when you're at Starbucks getting coffee, because I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. That was pretty funny. Here's the the next one. It's not so funny. And there's a lot of these in the book. It's about a married couple that sent a uh, this lady sent a picture of their wedding day, but she had marked it out. And she said this, I know he doesn't love me anymore. A secret. What's your secret? What are you hiding today? Is there something that's hidden deep, deep in, inside of you? You see, Moses was hiding a secret that he had killed an Egyptian and he put him, uh, hit him in the sand. And he thought as soon as he had this man buried, that he was free. In fact, when he had finished burying his secret, he left the scene. He went back to the palace and he thought life was going to be as normal. Now, Moses lived in a palace You say, well, how did that happen? Because he was a Hebrew guy. He was an Israelite. Well, this is how it happened. Pharaoh put out um, a decree that all babies two years old and younger will be put to death. Well, Moses, his mother heard that and she wanted to protect him. So as just a little infant, she put him in a little basket and she strategically put the basket near where she knew the Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing And so sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter took uh, this baby out of the water. In fact, named him Moses because Moses means I have taken you out of the water. And she raised him as her own. And so Moses had the experience of living a privileged life. He had the best clothes. He had the best uh, schooling. He had the best food that he could ever hope for. He was truly the prince of Egypt, in case you've seen the movie. Now, he had this privileged life, but all around him, the Hebrews, his people were suffering. They were suffering under the pressures of this uh, evil regime. And so Moses knew that he, uh, he was a Hebrew and something inside of him just was in a state of turmoil when he saw his own people being mistreated. And one day he had all that he could stand. He saw an Egyptian man beating up. On a Hebrew man. And that overwhelmed him. And he went out. And he killed that Egyptian man. And he buried them in the ground. And now Moses had a secret. What kind of secret do you have? Are there anything. Chapters in your life. Or events in your life. Or evenings in your life. That you don't want anybody to know. You're happily married now and you hope to goodness that your spouse does not find out about that chapter in your life. Or maybe you're gainfully employed now. And you're gainfully employed but you hope that your employer does not research your resume. Because on your resume are what should have been on your resume are events in your life with, that would disqualify you from working at the company that you're working at. Secrets. They're chapters, they're events, they're nights, they're relationships you hope nobody finds out. You know, when you have a secret, you tend to become overly critical. You can write, fill that in the blanks. You tend to become overly critical. Have you ever noticed that there's some people that just get fired up way past what they need to be over things that are nothing? I mean, it's something that's happened and it is, is a blip on the radar, but yet they make this issue huge. They're overly critical about this. It makes you wonder, what kind of secrets do you have? I mean, you're overreacting because of, um, This little thing over here, you know, have you, maybe you don't do this, but sometimes I get angry at people who are doing the things that I struggle with. Because you see, I see my weakness in them, my issues in them, and I don't like that in me and I don't like it in them. And so I don't do anything about it in me. So I, I put it all over on them. That's a dangerous thing. When you have a secret, you tend to be overly critical. But also, secondly, when you have a secret, you tend to run away from people and you run away from God. You know, when you have a secret, people are trying to get close to you and you're kind of putting up your guard. You're putting up this wall here and you're saying, oh, you can't come this close to me. And you're starting to push people back because you think that if they get too close to you, then they'll find out. And you don't want anybody to know your secret. You don't want anybody to know those things that you are hiding. And so they come close and you start pushing. And you start running. You're trying to get away from them. Well, the next day, Moses, after he had killed that uh, Egyptian and, and buried him, the next day he went out into the field and he saw some Hebrews fighting this time. Now it was Hebrew on Hebrew, two Israelites fighting each other. and And it really unnerved him. And he stepped in to try to break up the fight. He said, no, you can't be doing that. And one of him looked at Moses and said, wait a minute. Who made you the ruler and who made you the judge over us? Are you thinking about killing me like you kill the Egyptian? When that guy said that, it went right through Moses. He said, oh my goodness. Moses knew that his secret was out and he ran. Next verse. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Where he went and sat down by a well. So Moses is on the run. He is a fugitive trying to get away from Pharaoh, because Pharaoh has the word out that he's he's gonna kill Moses. So he hits the road and starts running. To go from Goshen down to Midian is three hundred and seventy five miles. It would be like you leaving Augusta uh, on foot, getting on I 20 and driving to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. About three hundred and seventy five miles. He's on the run. He's trying to get away from his past. He's trying to get away from everything. And he shows up in Midian and he's sitting by this well just trying to get some water. And then seven girls show up. Seven girls from one family show up at the well uh, to feed their, uh, to water their uh, their flocks, uh, their sheep. While they were there, there's another group of shepherds that came uh, up there and threatened the, the young girls. And Moses didn't like that. He was a man of justice. And he stood up and said, no, you can't do that. And he he took a stand for these young women. And those uh, other shepherds noticed his uh, robe. And they thought, he's just not an ordinary person. He's a person of influence. Look at that robe. And they left. So these girls go home and tell their dad. Their dad's name is Jethro. He said, You wouldn't believe what happened to us today at the well. We were just trying to get water. There's a group of guys that, that threatened us. And there's this strange man there that stood up for us and had those guys uh, to leave. And Jethro said, Well, what was his name? Well, we don't know. Where's he at now? Well, I don't. Why didn't you invite him home? And so they ran out and they, they got him to come and, and Jethro fed Moses. He provided a place to, for him to stay. And after some time, Moses married one of his daughters, Zipporah. After they were married, after some time, they had a baby. And Moses went to name the child. We pick it up in verse 22. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershon. Saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And that's what Gershon means. I, I'm this foreigner. In other words, Moses is living here in Midian. Moses doesn't belong here in Midian. He's, he feels like he is a foreigner in a foreign land. He feels like that he can't go home. He's just out there. He can't go home. He is hiding out in the desert. He doesn't want to deal with his past. He just wants to cover it up. We do the same thing. We try to hide out in the desert. Some people move great distances to try to create a new life, to start over again. Because we're running from our past. We're trying to hide out. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with the, um, our struggles. And whether our struggles are with, with chemicals, whether our struggles are with the relationships or money or whatever else, we try to run from it. But there's this past underneath it all. And this past seems to, uh, to seep up and try to control us. And what we notice is, is that when people try to get close to us, we get defensive. And we push back. That's what Moses was doing. Moses hid for 40 years. And at this point in the story, 40 years into this, uh, this running 40 years later, he's 80 years old. He is 80 years old. He's created, he's carved out this neat little life. He's a shepherd himself. He is out in the fields taking care of the flocks. And he notices over at a distance, there's this bush that is on fire. Now, that's not uncommon. This is the near Middle East. This is a hot desert type of uh, climate. And it is not uncommon for um, a bush to combust. But what was different about this bush... Is that it was on fire, but it was not being consumed. It was not burning up. I mean, most of the time we see a fire, then the fire eventually goes out because uh, the fuel of the fire uh, uh, goes out. Not this case. So Moses walked over there, and he walks up to the bush. We see this in in chapter three, and when he walked close to the bush, there's a voice that came out of that bush that was burning. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses. Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God says. See, it was God's voice speaking to him out of the burning bush. Some of you have heard that phrase. Oh, we had a burning bush experience. Well, this is the verse that that phrase is rooted in. Okay. Do not come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I want you to take off your sandals. God is a God of props, okay? And God wants Moses to take off the shoes that he has been running with. I don't want you to run anymore. It's enough. Your run is over. You got to stop running. The past can no longer control um, your life. The past cannot no longer control your story. I have a plan for your life. I need you to take off your sandals because the ground you're standing is holy ground. Here's the point. When you bring it home. The holy ground in your life is when you give something over to God. The holy ground in your life is when you give something over to the Lord. God said, take off your sandals. Stop your running. This is holy ground. This is a holy moment here. God said to Moses, you've been running a long time. It's over. We're going to deal with this and we're going to deal with it now. I want you to come stand over here and stand in my presence. I want you to stand in my presence, stand in the presence of the Lord. I'll tell you. One minute in the presence of the Lord can change your life forever. The presence of the Lord, when you realize you are in his presence, your life can be forever changed And you will find the freedom that you so desperately need if you'll come to the place where you say, God, I'm giving it over to you. And the point is that God is saying to you is that the life in front of you is far more important than the life behind you. The life in front of you is far more important than the life behind you. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a future for you. But so many times we're, we're pushing God away. We're pushing God away. When God has said, I want you to come closer. I want you to come closer. I want you to take off your sandals. And I want you to stand here on holy." Holy ground, stand here in my presence. So many times, God has more for us than we even imagined. And we're pushing him back, and he's calling us to come here. Come closer. Come closer. Take off your sandals. Stay a while. The place that you're standing is in holy ground. So God speaks to Moses. says, "I've got a plan for your life. I want you to go back to Egypt." He said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Wait! Whoa. Go back to Egypt?" And he started making all kind of excuses. I can't do that. I'm not the person. Don't you know I've got a speech impediment? And that's true. Moses had a speech. I can't speak before the Pharaoh. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back. To the ground that you murdered that man. I want you to go back. And face those secrets that you buried. Those secrets that you buried deep, deep 40 years ago. I want you to go back to Egypt. Egypt. Because God is a God of redemption. And Moses' story is a story of redemption. And God wanted Moses to go back to that ground. So that he could redeem him. So that he could set him free. Because God had a plan for Moses. A plan that was so much bigger than he even imagined. And he knew that God... But before he could set the Israelites free from the oppression of Pharaoh, he had to set a man free. And Moses had to be that man where he could find freedom and redemption in his own life before he could impact the masses. Before God could ever set the Israelites free, he had to set Moses free. Here's the point. God wants to set you free. So that he can use you to set others free. God has a plan for your life. God has a mission for your life. God wants to use you. But instead of running away from him. I want you to run toward him. I want you to say God give me your presence. God let me sense your presence. Because one moment in God's presence can change your life forever. He said okay Marty I get it. I understand. I see the story. I see the connection. I see those secrets that I have. I see that call to a a holy life, but I don't know what to do. There are three things that I want you to do today. Three simple things. And I believe these are three simple steps that will lead you to a place of freedom. The first thing I want you to do, I want you to take it to God. Take it. Now, we probably should circle that word it because that word it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To those of you that are watching online, what is that it that you're struggling with? To those sitting in this auditorium, what is that it? What is that thing? Is it pornography? Is it alcoholism? Is it cigarettes? Is it a food addiction? Is it a multiple relationship? What is that? Whatever it is. Because here's the deal. All of us have issues. All of us have issues. And we're here trying to just come clean with the it. That's our issue. And if you say, I don't have any issues, well, that's your issue. Okay, that's it. So whatever it is, we're going to take it to God. This is the message of Paul to the Roman um, church when he said, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you... Obey its evil desires and do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God for sin. What shall not be your master. Sin shall not be your master. It's not going to have control over you. You know, when I was growing up, there was a cartoon character named uh, Popeye the Sailor Man. Now, some of you who are over 40, you probably have seen that. Um, Others have seen it um, in reruns or so. But Popeye the Sailor Man, um, when he would come to his breaking point, you know, he's at this place, everything's against him, he's at his breaking point. What does he do? He grabs a can of spinach, right? And then he says, I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand it any longer. I, I've had all I can stand, I can't stand it anymore. And he would take that. Some of you this afternoon, you're at your breaking point. And you've had all that you can stand. And you feel like, Popeye, I can't stand it no more. Today is the day that you're going to come clean. Because this is holy ground. This is the ground uh, where God's presence is here and God's presence is active. And today we are going to take it to God, whatever that is that it is. We're going to take that problem. We're going to take that struggle. We're going to take that difficulty. We're going to give it over to the Lord and say, I can't take it anymore, God. I need help. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your anointing. And God, if you don't come, I don't know what I'm going to do. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed with such a, a deep cry out? God, if you don't come and help, I don't think I can take it another day. I don't think I can go through another experience. like I need your help. Have you ever prayed with that kind of sincerity, that kind of passion? You know, so many times we offer up these nice little sweet little Sunday school prayers and, and they rhyme and they sound beautiful. But, but they mean nothing to us because we've not internalized them. We've not embraced them. I'm telling you, there's something about embracing the pain and crying out for the help. We're saying, God, help me. God, give me strength. God, give me healing. That we get so focused on taking it to God that we understand that there's a battle that's going on. There's a battle between uh, the forces of evil and the forces of good. And oftentimes that battle takes place right in our lives. And there's this pull. There's this pull. The enemy pulls us um, one way and God is calling us to a new way. And to those of you that are struggling, I want you to understand the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. They have divine power. The weapons we fight with are not like the world fights. This is not a battle that you can fight with uh, with your uh, everyday worldly uh, pursuits. But on the contrary, you have divine power to demolish strongholds. That means that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be active and it's going to demolish those things that are holding you back. Have you ever felt like that there was a glass ceiling? Have you ever felt like that every time you take two steps forward, you ended up taking three steps back that you just can't catch a break? Could it be that there's an enemy that's working against you? Could it be that he is trying to pull you back so that you can go back to the dirty life that you had? Could it be that God says, no, no more, for you're going to take it to the Lord. And he's going to give you divine power to demolish the strongholds that are holding you back and that you are going to be free in Jesus name. So I said, there's three things we're going to take it to God and then we're going to take it public. We're going to confess it publicly And James chapter five and verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's Effective. The problem is that so many of us are afraid to confess it to God and to other people, and then we've got to get past that. We've got to take it public. Now, taking it public does not mean that you go home this afternoon and you air all all of your dirty laundry on Facebook. That is not it at all. That is not the place. That is not giving God glory or honor or anything. I am simply saying I want you to go to a trusted friend, two or three maybe, trusted friends, people who are uh, whole confidences, people who you can be honest with. Man, I can't tell them that. Well, you need to find that person and just say, I need help. I need help. And there are three things I want you to help me with. And you go to that person. I want, first of all, I want you to help me pray. Because sometimes my faith is weak and I need somebody to help me. And I think the Bible says where two shall agree touching one thing it shall be done. Will you help me pray about this? The second thing, I need you to help me when I fall. Because it's like I am running this race and and it's on a slippery slope. And i got to be honest with you, I fall. And I'm afraid I'm about to fall. Will you help me? Well, when I fall, will you reach down and and will you pick me up? Third thing, I want you to help me be accountable. When I do fall, when I do make mistakes, will you help me be accountable? Will you hold me accountable? Now, this is hard. This is hard the older you get in your life. Because the older you get in your life, you move into your career. You move from working the assembly line to maybe being a, a, a manager. And, and maybe you're over a group of people. And you start to, uh, being uh, leading other people. Then you start guarding your conversations and you guard your relationships and, and before you know it, you're distancing yourself from people. You have to be careful not to do that. And you need somebody that, that can speak the truth to you. Do you have anybody that can look you in the eye and say, oh, I'm giving, I don't think I would go there, but see a lot of times we've got to give that person permission to say that. Because they're not going to meddle in our business. But if we give them permission, we hold me accountable? Will you speak into me? And if you're inviting people to uh, speak into you, then uh, you'll be a stronger person when they do. So you're going to ask for help. So we're talking, we're going to take it to God. We're going to take it public with two or three friends. We are not going on Facebook. We're not going to Instagram this. We're not going to do that. We're going to go to two or three trusted friends who keep confidences. Okay, number three, number three, okay? Sometimes the fingers don't work as quick. You're going to take it down, okay? We're going to take it down. This is We're talking about be, uh, being free here. We're going to take it down. How are you going to take it down? I want you to do what you can do. Do what you can do. You do the possible, then allow God to do the impossible. Say, I am not going to be defeated by this. Whatever that struggle is, whatever that difficulty is, you're going to take it down. So what's bigger, your problem or God? What's bigger, your struggle or the Lord? What's bigger here, that can of uh, of beer or God? God. What's bigger here, that pack of cigarettes or God? What's bigger here, that food addiction or God? What's bigger here? I am saying God is bigger than any problem you may have. God is the source of your strength. He is the source of your help and that we can be free in the name of Jesus. That's why Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. We are free in Jesus' name. You can have a lot, new life, but you've got to come to the place where you're willing to admit it. Saying, God, I've made mistakes and I've buried them deep, deep, deep. And today I just want to come clean. I just want to say, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. And if you can pray that prayer, I believe that's your first step to your new life. And that's the first step to finding hope in Jesus' name. I want to pray for you. I want to pray first of all for those that have never made a decision to follow Jesus. Let this be the day that you say, Jesus, save me. And I want to pray for those that are struggling, that God would set you free. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those individuals that are watching online. I pray for those that are in this auditorium. Those that never made a decision to follow Jesus, as they take that step of faith and say this, Jesus, save me. Just say that. Say, Jesus, save me pray this, say, Jesus, forgive me. I want you to say this, say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. I receive hope in Jesus name. Now, father, I pray for those individuals that have, that they understand the struggle. And I pray that this is the day that's a turnaround day. That in the future, they'll look back to July the 22nd, 2018. Says that was the day that, that I turned it around. That was the day that I took it down. And so, Father, I pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would rest upon, uh, uh, Lord, this church and the individuals in this auditorium and those watching. And God, we receive your strength. And we receive... Uh, Lord, that ability to to move forward in spite of it. And God, we recognize that this is holy ground. And we're taking off our sandals and we're saying we're not going to run anymore. But we're giving our life to you, O Lord. And we're asking you to show us your glory. And show us your presence in Jesus' name.